The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 265, broadcasting live Wednesday, January 14th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call number is 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, the show is rated M for Mature, so listener and viewer discretion is advised. All right, so we got a lot to get into this week, um, especially on the wrestling side of things. MMA is a little quiet, even though we have a couple of cards on the horizon. We got a Bellator card this coming Friday. We have a kickboxing card. We also have, of course, UFC Fight Night on Saturday with uh, Conor McGregor, Dennis Seaver in your main event, so we're going to get into that. We're going to get into this past Monday's episode of Raw, which, of course, had the induction, the announcement of Randy Savage being inducted into the Hall of Fame, which was very cool. But aside from that, I did feel that the rest of Raw was rather subpar, and we're going to get into that. As always, we will take your calls. Again, that number 347-324-3541. Again, that number 347-324-3541. All right, so... Before we get in, get into all that stuff for this week, we got to get a, some housekeeping out of the way. Um, a couple of you guys were messaging me that the site was down today. We had to deal with some uh, unfortunate hacking incidents this afternoon, but um, everything is up and running. Things are running smoothly, and we have since resolved the problem. As I mentioned last week, our goal is by the end of the month, by January 31st, to fully integrate MyTakeRadio.com into RageWorks. And we've been working behind the scenes trying to get that set up. And we are still on target for the January 31st date. By that point, MyTakeRadio.com will be forwarding to RageWorks.net. MTRLive.com, of course, will be forwarding to the live page that we have set up on RageWorks for all the shows. Of course, uh, Buried, MyTakeRadio, and all the other shows as part of the RageWorks network will be there for your convenience Obviously, shows can still be accessed via iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and any of your other podcatching outlets. So be obviously aware of that and keep that in mind 
but everything else will be running with zero issue. That's the goal. We plan to just transition over and keep everything as seamless as possible. Uh, on the horizon, we will be covering the 2015 Toy Fair. As of right now, that seems to be the tentative course of action. Everything seems to be running smoothly in that regard. And um, we're going to get that handled. And, you know, we'll definitely be reporting from that event, sharing all the pictures, updates, and, of course, announcements from the event, including all the new toys, especially stuff tying into uh, the brand new Avengers Age of Ultron line and some of the other properties that have been announced as well. There's some stuff that's been making its way into my inbox, which unfortunately I can't share with you guys until we get permission to do so. But there's definitely some cool stuff on the horizon. Um, of course, a lot of content going up on RageWorks.net. Uh, in particular, of course, uh, Lucha Lee has joined us and he is sharing his Lucha Underground recaps along with some other content that you'll be seeing on RageWorks. Of course, there's new stuff from myself. Slick, and of course the Rages, uh from Jay Santi, which um, should be finalized. We actually had a Ragey, uh trophy done up for that specific article. It took a couple of, it took a little longer than I would have liked, but we did get that done. So be on the lookout for Jay's Ragey Awards, and he has a lot of cool categories he came up with. I'm actually going to add to that as well and share some of my picks just to kind of uh, give a little conflict to what Jay put in there. I'm hoping you guys enjoy that. We're definitely going to try and integrate the Rages into all our other outlets as well, including gaming, movies, and, of course, gaming as well. Uh, for 2014, obviously, we're not going to do it, but we're going to definitely do something for 2015, maybe a mid-year uh, Rages and also an end-of-the-year Ragey Awards as well. If everything goes according to plan, who knows? We may even turn that into a live broadcast. So uh, just to recap, MyTakeRadio.com being rolled into RageWorks.net, MTRLive.com. We'll forward to a live page on RageWorks, so everything should run smoothly. We are going to do some design alterations to RageWorks.net just to allow you guys to have a, an easier and more streamlined uh, viewing experience. As always, if you have any issues or concerns or even questions or you're interested in participating or contributing to RageWorks.net, please drop me a line. Uh, rich at RageWorks.net or MTRHost at MyTakeRadio.com, whichever makes you feel more comfortable. Um, for those of you that went to MyTakeRadio.com looking for episodes 263 and 264, I did not post them there only because we're trying to just transition everything to RageWorks and just the double posting. We're going to have to end up moving all that stuff over. So for those of you that were looking on MyTakeRadio.com for it, we will be posting an update uh, advising you guys on where those two episodes are on RageWorks.net, so you can check them out. Uh, one thing I did want to put out there is we're definitely off to the races with regards to download numbers for the show. Um, within already two weeks into the month of January, we are crushing it, making tremendous strides, doing some record-breaking numbers, and I am um, eternally happy and grateful to all of you guys for continuing to support us and definitely contributing where you can and supporting our movement as best as possible. Just a quick reminder with regards to that, that if you are interested in watching the video feeds of the show, uh, we do put them on YouTube, either on the My Take Radio YouTube channel or on the RageWorks YouTube channel. That will continue to be that way for the foreseeable future. Same thing with social media accounts for both My Take Radio and RageWorks. There will be some duplication and some cross-posting just to ensure 
that our audience is getting all the content that we put out there, especially on Facebook, which many of you know is a complete wasteland if you're trying to get your content out there. All right. So with that said, that is the update for this week. Uh, A couple of things I did want to say before we get into the MMA segment. Uh, One thing I do want to say is we're looking to make some improvements and we are probably going to revisit Patreon once again. For those of you that don't remember, we launched the Patreon for My Take Radio. For those of you that were interested in donating or contributing to help the show's growth, um, you know, we we started doing it and it kind of fell by the wayside. I definitely got to thank Javon Lewis, who was one of the Uh, one of the few that actually assisted in that endeavor. Uh, We're going to revisit it and make the Patreon both for Rageworks and My Take Radio. That way you guys um, can see your contributions at work, both from an on-air and off-air perspective. So that's where we're at. All right, this week's topics, like I said, we got some a ton of MMA news. I want to talk a little bit about the John Jones situation, which took another turn towards Weirdsville, This week, and of course, we're going to get into all the wrestling news of the week. As always, 347-324-3541 if you want to contribute and get involved. With that said, let's get into the week's MMA news, shall we? As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all the latest and greatest training gear and your favorite fighter merch by heading over to MMAWarehouse.com. As always, you can find banners with coupon codes and free shipping options on RageWorks.net. If you use those banners, of course, it helps us out and it allows you guys to save a little money or even get some free stuff. Again, MMA Warehouse is our sponsor for this week's MMA segment. All right, so I want to open things up with Vanderlei Silva, who is in the news this week because he um, posted a brand new YouTube video. And if there's one thing that Vanderlei does quite well is stir the pot. And of course, after his lifetime ban and just his subsequent falling out with the UFC, there were a lot of eyes on Vanderlei Silva because many people were awaiting his take on the John Jones situation, much like Chael and some of the other. Um, you know, real important people in the MMA community. Vanderlei's opinion definitely is is quite heavy, especially with regards to fighter pay and with the John Jones situation as well. He did address the Nevada State Athletic Commission with regards to how they've handled not only the John Jones situation, but the testing for supplements and as well as MMA athletes, of course. And he said, instead of regulating it, you are damaging the sport. You should protect it the equality and the safety of the fighters, but you don't know what you're doing. When asked about John Jones, well, correction, let me rephrase that. His opinion on John Jones, he said, you will step out of this and use this as a lesson for many people who have the same problem. Keep being the great champion that you are. Now, the funny thing about the John Jones situation is that many of us, uh, myself included, look at it from the standpoint that the, the punishment has not been levied in such a way where you would think that the situation was as grave as it was, but we're, we're talking about your, your, the, one of the faces of your company, one of your marquee fighters, one of your champions testing positive for cocaine. And the fact that the, that the results came out accidentally um, being, like I said last week, a big black eye, not only on the commission, 
but on the sport itself. Now, of course, a lot of people are saying, yeah, but John Jones has a problem and, you know, we should try and support that, you know, support his his recovery, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, and I'm going to be frank. Um, as human beings, we are in charge of our own destiny. And as a representative, not only of a sport, but of an organization as a champion, you have a certain a certain platform and a certain expectation that's set before you. Again, if there's one thing that I always talk about was Charles Barkley when he said, I am not a role model. And with regards to that, it's true. You shouldn't look at athletes as role models because they're flawed just like the rest of us. But you do look at athletes in terms of of trying to pattern yourself after them depending on what type of sport you're involved in. And sometimes you even look at the way they ascended to a certain level as inspiration for you to do the same. Uh, this doesn't, this isn't one of those things where we go back to, oh, I want to be like Mike. It's just the fact that there's more, there's more accessibility to fighters. There's more accessibility to media personalities, athletes as a whole. And as such, um, up and coming fighters, younger fighters, just, just, uh, fighters that are looking for towards you know these these pin, these pinnacle figures of the sport for for guidance. They're seeing guys like this that are just getting a slap on the wrist. And while obviously we are all capable of making our own decisions, it does paint a poor picture not only for the commission but just for the way that the UFC handles things. Because we've talked about at great length how the UFC goes out of their way to crucify guys that test positive for marijuana metabolites, etc. And you know Dana White. There's been plenty of Vine videos and plenty of videos of him back talking about different things. And of course, this situation with John Jones, it's like, yeah, we have to be there. We have to support him, et cetera, et cetera. And again, the gravity of this situation falls. Um, it falls short of what people would expect to be done, because think about it. If you test positive for cocaine in, in most sports, you get suspended um, you get X amount of fines levied against you, et cetera, et cetera. In John Jones's situation, it's all about treatment and nobody's looking at the elephant in the room that your champion was using cocaine and people are just kind of looking at it from a, from a nonchalant standpoint, given that the commission said that it wasn't a big deal. And that's what bothers me as, as a fan, as a martial artist, as someone who who's grown up around this type of atmosphere, I, I stand by the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you're a well, you're a well-oiled machine, you're a conditioned athlete, and you should treat your body as such, and going out of your way to put, you know, cocaine and all this other stuff in your system, and not being held accountable for it, just like I said before, paints a poor picture, not only for current fighters on the roster, but up-and-coming fighters as well, and I think this is something that definitely needs to change, and Vanderlei continuing to acknowledge it is is crucial because a lot of people look at it like yeah the weed thing or the trt thing but there's there's other drugs out there there's diuretics um there's other items that are being used in the sport of mixed martial arts that sometimes are not even coming out in tests and not only that but the the, the better the tests get the better people get at sk- at skating those tests i mean there's a rumor that when john jones came to get tested and again this is a pure rumor and speculation that he pulled a Vanderlei and he hid allegedly under the cage when, you know, the, 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 the guy came in to administer the test. Again, this isn't something that's, that's a hundred percent true, but it's something that's been making the circles and picking up steam the last couple of days. So I'm really hoping that's not the case because 
for all those individuals that shit on Vanderlei Silva, it's like John Jones is doing the same thing, and it's like, you know, pot, meat, kettle at that point. So um, we'll see what happens. Like I said, I, I, I respect John Jones's abilities. I respect his accomplishments, and I, I truly hope that he can resolve these personal issues and, and move past it. But I also feel that the UFC should not turn the blind eye or not handle this the way it should be handled because, again, it paints a poor picture not only for the rest of your fighters on the roster, but just for your perception of the sport of the organization as a whole. Now, Vanderlei also shared his opinion on Nevada State Athletics Commission on the Nevada State Athletics Commission's inconsistent regulations. And with regards to that, I do have to agree that their regulations fluctuate with regards to how they're addressed. And of course, the first thing you're going to say is that it's Vegas and people got to make money. And this is why it's being approached the way it's being approached. Well, with regards to that, he said, are there laws or are there no laws? Sometimes there are laws and sometimes there are none. There are no protocols to be followed. You are lost and you don't know what you're doing. This sport has to be regulated. The way that it's going can't continue and the commission itself is a mess. With regards to the UFC taking responsibility, he said they put on the fights to make money and in those regards, they're not wrong. But the entity that implements the laws for the athletes, the entity that punishes athletes and controls their lives, yet doesn't know what they're doing, that just cannot be. It's a commission that doesn't follow protocols or laws, and it's an organization that needs to be held accountable. And I agree. I mean, you know, with regards to that, it's true. You're, the commission is going to handle the overall broad stroke of how the, the sport of mixed martial arts is regulated, but the organization has to also take a stance and create bylaws and rules as to how not only to handle fighter conduct, but how to also handle just disciplinary actions as well. It's like, and I, and you know, we've talked about this before. If one guy goes on Twitter and makes, you know, remarks that are against the fighter conduct policy and that person gets punished, um, it, you know, and the same, and let's say Ronda Rousey, as an example, makes similar inflammatory comments, yet the, the, there's no disciplinary action levied against her, then the playing field is not level. And that's something you have to look at. I mean, you know, if, if one guy says, hey, you know, this guy, this guy's a, a, a fag or something like that, and that guy gets suspended and he gets reprimanded and, you know, Ronda Rousey says something or, you know, one of your more high-profile fighters, Conor McGregor, says something and all of a sudden it's, oh, that, that person was in the heat of the moment or that person didn't write that or their phone got hacked or or some 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 lame duck excuse that we all know is bullshit and it's just because they don't want to be held accountable. I mean, we've talked about this with WWE as well with regards to how how wrestlers get tested and how dis- disciplinary action gets handled and there there are issues there as well, but when you're trying to or correction, when you're saying that you are the leading organization in mixed martial arts when you want to be compared to the NFL or a major league baseball or major league soccer or any of the other large entities in the world of sports, you have to handle yourself across the board equally. There shouldn't be a, a, a different level of punishment for a lower tier guy versus an upper tier guy. It's unacceptable and it's wrong. And I agree with what Vanderlei says 100%. So it's not a shock that Vanderlei would also address CM Punk and you know his his uh, 
imminent debut in the UFC, and he said, did this guy ever compete? Did he ever get punched in the head? Did he ever compete in anything? No. Then it's dangerous to put him inside the cage against a professional fighter. If he takes a blow to the head and dies, what will the commission say then? Sorry? Now, obviously, that's an extreme example, but... um. I also feel that Vanderlei, you know, there's there's a little there's a little hostility, a little bitterness in there, but I will say CM Punk's debut and his his entry into mixed martial arts, there's a lot of factors you have to consider. And yes, Vanderlei uses a very extreme example, but everybody at some point was a rookie. Now, whether you're an, a 21 year old rookie, a 25 year old rookie, a 35 year old rookie, hell, even a 40 year old rookie, the fact is. You're a rookie and you know the risks when you get in the cage and the governing body knows the risks when they put you in there. Now, obviously, the promoter needs to be the one that's in control. Now, nobody's saying that you're going to put him in there with a can, but nobody's saying that you're going to put him in there with an elite top five, top 10 fighter. You might put him in there with somebody in the in the top 15. Well, correction, in the 10 to 15 bracket or in the 15 to 20 bracket, but you're definitely not putting them in there with any of the hitters that are in the top 10 of the division. It's just not happening. But, you know, I, I understand where he's coming from, but he did use an extreme example. CM Punk's debut is a debut that will be watched not only by the wrestling community, but by the mixed martial arts community as a whole. And it's very split. There's there's a very, very huge, huge division between fans on both sides of the spectrum because obviously wrestling fans are upset that they're one of their favorite athletes was you know went into the quote unquote real world and mixed martial artists and mixed martial arts fans in general are they're upset that there's somebody that's coming into their world and getting an opportunity that they may or may not have earned just strictly on name recognition and the dollar signs that pay-per-view would bring in and you know what it is to to those people on both sides of the spectrum. I say the same thing I said before, and that's you have to wait and see. Brock Lesnar transitioned from WWE to the NFL to mixed martial arts back to wrestling, and he had detractors on every side of the spectrum. And with him ha- and with rumors floating around that he may be coming back to the UFC, the same people that spoke ill against him a, a few years back are the same people that are saying that they're looking forward to seeing how he does at 100% in the UFC. So, again, ladies and gentlemen, I have to I have to be blunt with this. Don't talk shit and give the guy a chance. Unless you, you know, you put on a pair of 4-ounce gloves and you go in the octagon yourself, you won't understand what it's like. And for a guy like CM Punk, it's it's one of those questions, can I do it? And if I can do it, can I be successful at it? We all have that. We all strive to be better. We all want to be better athletes. We all want to be better individuals in any field. I mean, even even you know, even myself as an extreme example. I come here. I do the show. I edit the show every night. I see all my flaws. I see all my weaknesses. I see all my verbal crutches, and I gotta accept them. And I gotta be better every week. And sure, people are gonna tune in, and they're gonna say, "Man, you know, this guy, this guy's presence is shit," or whatever the case may be. And maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but at least they're giving me a chance to to prove it or prove them wrong. And that's all I got to say with CM Punk. Give the guy a shot. Let him go in there. He's got a training camp. He's got a good team. Let him go in there and let him be the let him be the guy in charge of his destiny. You know, if he if his destiny is to go in there and get his ass kicked, 
he's going to go in there and get his ass kicked. And if he goes in there and he impresses and then gets his ass kicked down the road, so be it. But that's a choice that he made on his own. So for those of you that are on the message boards and on Twitter and on Facebook and you're you're already waving the banner of failure with regards to CM Punk, don't do that. Because you didn't do it you didn't do it for a Chuck Liddell or a Randy Couture or a Tito Ortiz or a Ken Shamrock when they were on the come up. Again, everybody starts from the bottom. Everybody. Simple as that. Anyway, so after after Vanderlei's video, it was interesting to me that an article was put out with regards to a female mixed martial artist testing positive for uh, banned substance. And, you know, it's one of those things that it, it happens on occasion, but it's not talked about as much. But I just found it incredibly ironic that after Vanderlei's video and all the conversation that that created, um, a female mixed martial artist was popped with uh, supplementation. And the funny thing is, uh, with illegal supplements, excuse me, but the funny thing about the, her instance was that the Nevada State Athletic Commission actually sent the um, the paperwork to the wrong address. So when she got when she passed the, the test, they were going based on the stats. Well, correction on they were doing it based on the licensing paperwork from her last appearance at World Series of Fighting. So let me let me break this down for you guys. Ashley Evans Smith was uh, tested positive for a diuretic after her fight with Raquel Pennington at UFC 181. Uh, the, the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, confirmed to MMA Junkie that Evan Smith tested positive for hydrochlorothiazide, which is a water pill that uh, prevents the body from retaining salt and helps with the cutting of weight. Now, Ashley Evan Smith's manager said that the Nevada State Athletic Commission sent the notification to the wrong address and that they use her licensing from her fight at World Series of Fighting, which took place in June. Now, the the NSAC rep said um, the complaint was set on January set was sent on January 2nd via regular mail. And uh, we used the address that she put on her application. Now, it's interesting because uh, neither Ashley Evan Smith, um, she was neither informed nor received a copy of, you know, said issue. And, um, you know, they using the licensing paperwork from World Series of Fighting 10 obviously is a, is a problem all its own. But in any event, the Nevada State Athletic Commission will surely issue some sort of discipline, uh, excuse me, disciplinary measure um, against her. But the funny thing is that that's how disorganized it is. This 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 lady, uh, you test her, she tests positive and you don't even go above and beyond trying to find a current address you just send it to the address on file instead of i don't know contacting the ufc and saying hey uh this fighter came up like this uh we want to ensure that you guys get a copy of this and she gets a copy of this etc etc and blah 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 we're going to discipline her accordingly nope we're just going to use older paperwork and then when the test comes back we're going to send it to the wrong address and you know, everybody throws their hands up in the air and nobody wants to be held accountable. I'm curious to find out for the usage of diuretics, what type of a um, disciplinary measure will be will be issued? Because, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, weed or or cocaine or any of that. We're talking about a diuretic. And obviously that does give uh, an upper hand with regards to weight cutting. So I'm curious to see what type of um of a fine is levied, if any, or if there's going to be a suspension 
or given the fact that the paperwork fell through the cracks that they may just issue a fine and not discipline her because obviously they dropped the ball. Of course, once we hear more, I will definitely share that with you guys. While I am on the subject of CM Punk, he was on Inside MMA on Access TV with Duke Rufus. Uh, Jim Ross was there as well. And, um, you know, a couple of things came out of that, out of his appearance on Inside MMA, which is a really, really great show. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Boss Rutten, and I, I, I love the way that they approach the sport on that show. Um, I think that CM Punk and Duke Rufus are going to have a very good relationship together, and there's going to be... Um, there's going to be a lot of, of testing there, especially for a guy like CM Punk, because uh, Rufus Sport has a lot of great guys. Obviously, uh, Anthony Showtime Pettis, his brother, Ben Askren, um, um, excuse me, uh, Anthony Pettis, his brother, plus Ben Askren as well. A lot, of, a lot of great guys to learn from and work with. But Duke Rufus has gone on record as saying that he will be working with CM Punk one on one for the time being and that he's not going to let Punk work with other fighters until CM Punk is comfortable in the cage and Rufus deems it, uh, you know, deems it an, an oh, correction, deems it a go to work with those guys. So we're definitely going to be watching that carefully. Now, CM Punk did address that he may be fighting at middleweight. And he said, um, there's never been a list of guys that I've been, you know, looking at as potential opponents. We've never talked about them because I think Dana White, myself, Lorenzo Fertitta, we've all agreed probably 185. When I had my initial meeting and they flew me out to Chicago, I was walking around at like 220. But the weight just keeps coming off and it keeps coming off. So once we nail it down, I'm sure in about six months we might entertain who I might fight. But, you know, right now, based on on that statement from CM Punk, it seems like 185 is going to be the target. Um, he did state, like I said, he was walking around at 220, making the cut to 185. There's a lot of dangerous guys at 185. A lot of great matchups at 185. So we're going to see if he's able to make that cut. Um, a couple of guys on Twitter were saying that, um, you know, making the drop to 170 might work as well. But at the end of the day, I'll say this. There's dangerous fighters in 170. There's a stacked 170 division and there's a, a stacked 185. So, you know, it's not like CM Punk is going to go in there and get a complete can when he fights. But he's definitely whoever fights him is going to get a big payday, win, lose, or draw. That, that's, that's a no-brainer. Not to mention the fact that whatever card he fights on, a lot of fighters are going to want to be involved because that's a big buy rate card any way you slice it. And like I said, you're going to have wrestling fans tuning in, MMA fans tuning in, and hell, even casual fans tuning in to see that fight. Now, you know, he was asked, CM Punk was asked why he hasn't called out any fighters. And... um you know, it's one of those things you'd expect coming from a wrestling background. You'd expect that he'd use that to try and, and start setting up an opponent similar to how Brock Lesnar did things. But that's not the case. He said, and I quote, I'm not calling anybody out. I tell people that I'm calling myself out. I'm putting this all on me. I have a great trainer. There's great coaches. Anthony Pettis, Ben Askren, Chico Camus. Uh, the list goes on and on. But the only guy that I have to call out is myself. And it's true, you know, CM Punk has um, an incredible, you know, he's, he's got a great work ethic that's, you know, taking nothing away from him. But it's also the fact that, like I said earlier in the segment, the guy is a rookie and he's basically learning from the ground up. And yeah, you could take some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, you know, you could take some Muay Thai here and there, but it's a whole other ball game when you're doing live sparring in a cage or just, you know, being 
being overwhelmed, trying to uh, de- defend against submissions, defend against takedowns. You're going to have to also work on, obviously, your stand-up. It's going to be a, a lengthy process. So I have a feeling that we probably won't see CM Punk in, a ca- in the cage in the UFC octagon till at least the later part of the year. I'd like to say maybe September, October of 2015, and that's being generous. Hell, I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't save his his debut until maybe December and use it for an end-of-year card. It depends on how fast he learns, how comfortable he feels, and what what type of an opponent they can lay out for him. Uh, Mortis says in the chat, imagine if Brock comes back to the UFC after WrestleMania and they put Brock and Punk on the same card. You know what the crazy thing is? That would probably be the smart thing to do for a multitude of reasons. Number one, because you want to see if Brock Lesnar has drawing power. Number two, you got two guys that are, you know, they have a, a very large fan base in a in um you know in in the sport of professional wrestling. And to have that fan base translate over and support those guys in MMA, everybody wins in that equation. And I say this all the time. You know, all the infighting, even amongst our own listeners about MMA and pro wrestling, the similarities are there across the board. There's promoters that people love and people hate. There's fighters that people love and people hate. There's fighters that promote themselves the right way. There's fighters that are that are bona fide heels. It's it's pretty much the same thing. It's a soap opera with blood and violence just, you know, in a in a in a cage versus a wrestling ring. And the way I see it is that. A lot of guys that I've talked to that have made the transition from watching professional wrestling to watching MMA, and some of them, they, they attribute that to just, you know, the the, the impassioned uh, take that I have on it. I, I have to say this. every Both sports, professional wrestling and mixed martial arts, there's, there's plenty of crossover appeal on both sides of the spectrum. Not only that, but I think both sports need each other. They need each other because... There's guys that are uh, mixed martial artists that would love to transition to professional wrestling. And there's guys that are professional wrestlers that want to test themselves in the sport of mixed martial arts. And honestly, collegiate athletes benefit as well. Because think about it. If you are an amateur wrestler, a collegiate wrestler, hell, even an Olympic wrestler, like in Kurt Angle's case, the only outlet you had after you finished your amateur or professional or, you know, high-end wrestling career whether it's at the collegiate level or at the Olympic level, your only other outlet was professional wrestling. And the the introduction of mixed martial arts and the trend and the easy transition that so many wrestlers have had going into MMA has been great for the sport. But it's also great for the sport of professional wrestling with mixed martial artists because you're also getting guys that understand the grind, that understand what it's like to cut weight, to look a certain way on TV to be prepared for whatever awaits them in the cage. I mean, it transitions to wrestling just the same. And to see such a a hate, you know, a love-hate relationship amongst amongst both fan bases is just crazy to me because there's so many parallels, there's so many things that are are the same that, you know, it's just a matter of, of swapping out, you know, written finishes versus real finishes. That's really it. Other than that, there's still soap operas. There's still villains. There's still heroes. There's blue chip athletes. There's color commentators that sell you on certain fighters. It's the same thing. Joe Rogan out there extolling the virtues of a guy like Conor McGregor or, you know, Damian Maya or any of these other fighters. It's no different than a guy 
like Jim Ross putting his, his seal of approval on a Stone Cold Steve Austin or a Kurt Angle or an Undertaker or a Chris Benoit. It's the same thing. For every crazy thing that Vince McMahon has ever said in public, Dana White has said some crazy shit as well. For every terrible thing people say about Vince McMahon, there's terrible things that can be said about Dana White. The parallels are, are they're there, but to a degree, they're both, both um, I want to say both are a lot closer than we think. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, so I want to talk about some fight cards that are coming together and some fights that were recently announced that I'm really excited for. Um, MMA Fighting is reporting that Hector Lombard and Rory McDonald are going to be meeting uh, at UFC 186 on April 25th. Of course, this is a huge card. It's taking place in Montreal. And the other thing about this card that's interesting is that, you know, both of these guys have been rumored to be in title contention. This may be the fight that brings out a brand new contender in the welterweight division. Of course, Hector Lombard came into the UFC with a lot of press behind him after his his you know his experience in Bellator uh Rory McDonald is looked at as the next George St. Pierre everybody hopes and prays that he will be the guy that will you know carry the banner in GSP's absence but also another fight that was announced Johnny Hendricks and Matt Brown everybody thought that Johnny Hendricks would be fighting um Robbie Lawler for the third time but it turns out that him and Matt Brown are going to be squaring off so now you got two fights that may yield contenders on both sides, or they may actually get a fight out of that as well. It may turn out that the winner of Lombard and McDonald will face the winner of Brown Hendricks, and that winner from that fight will challenge Robbie Lawler. Either way, the welterweight division is incredibly exciting, and I'm pumped for both of those fights. They're going to be great. The other, the other uh, promotion that has some fights on the deck this on deck this weekend is World Series of Fighting. Um, that's happening January seventeenth, and you can watch that card on the NBC Sports Network. Uh, you're gonna have to check your cable provider for that. But the uh, the main event is Brian Foster and Jake Shields. Of course, Jake Shields, we all know from the UFC, now fighting for World Series of Fighting. So definitely check that out if you want to see what Jake Shields is up to. Give that a look. Like I said, that's going to be airing on the NBC Sports Network. So check your local cable provider for that. Now, Brock Lesnar's contract in the UF in the WWE has not even ended yet, and people in the UFC are already issuing challenges. Now, the funny thing is, the people that are issuing challenges are the usual suspects: the Alistair Overeems. Um, you know, you you got you got guys like him putting out those challenges, but. Uh, an interesting challenge came out and it was a challenge from Brendan Schaub and um, he said and I quote doing fake wrestling is not the same thing as being in the UFC you're playing grab ass that's what Brendan Schaub said you know if you're going to win or lose yeah it's hard on your body great but he hasn't been competing and training like I have if he comes back to the UFC I would 100% send him packing back to the fake wrestling now And I say this all the time for those of you that say, oh, wrestling is fake, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You've never taken a bump to understand what it's like. You don't understand that in every in every instance, the probability of you being paralyzed, crippled is is always there. Not only that, but you have the rigors of being on the road and quote unquote fake fighting 360 days a year, sometimes more. For, for for Brendan Schaub to say that 
it's incredibly, you know, it's 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 an incredible insult because Brock Lesnar has been in the UFC, he has trained, and he has fought. And last time I checked, he was a fucking champion when he was there. And people are going to say, yeah, but Brock Lesnar fought a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of suspect guys. Really? He did, did he? Frank Mir was a suspect guy. Randy Couture was a suspect guy. Alistair Overeem, Cain Velasquez. E- even if he lost, he fought guys that are that are bona fide legends. And Brendan Schaub, he's been on the show. He's been on the show before, you know, I, and I have no ill will towards the guy, but I just feel that for him to say something like that and just come off the way he did, I understand that it, obviously he's trying to secure himself a fight, but it just looks... It just looks, you know, it looks in poor taste and it just shows a lack of education. And, um, you know, Slick writes, wow, just because wrestling is scripted does not mean these guys cannot fight. Mortis adds a rusty Randy Couture and Frank Mir did beat him once. This is true. But you got to look at this and, and, and Mortis, I'm glad you bring that up. Randy Couture, even on his worst day, can probably beat all of our asses. It, it's, you know, rusty... Rusty is a is an interesting way of looking at it, but think about it. Randy Couture can pretty much beat up the average human being with minimal effort. These are these are the facts. Frank Mir, yes, Frank Mir did beat Brock Lesnar, but Frank Mir also in the rematch got dismantled just the same. And Frank Mir's resume is not a resume that you can easily sweep under the rug. You look at Frank Mir's resume, this is a guy that broke Tim Sylvia's arm. He, you know, he, he broke the arm of Noguera in his fight. Like, Frank Mir's a dangerous fucking human being. Now, obviously, Frank Mir suffers from the uh, Rob Lowe DirecTV uh, scenario in the sense that it depends on which Frank Mir is going to show up. Is it the super crazy, I'm going to break every bone in your body, Frank Mir? Or is it the Frank Mir that wants to try and sit there and box with you for three rounds? It depends on how you look at it. But either way, Frank Mir, another guy that's, you know, he, he's got Hall of Fame credentials on that resume. Alistair Overeem, same thing. Win, lose, or draw, whether you love the guy or hate the guy, Alistair Overeem's credentials are not something you can take lightly. And Cain Velasquez, I got nothing to say. Because it's like Cain Velasquez is Cain Velasquez. But I will agree with what Mortis says in the chat. Mortis says, Schaub is just running his mouth, hoping for a big payday. And I agree 110%. He is definitely looking for a big payday. But the only problem is that you're looking for a big payday while also, you know, incurring the wrath of wrestling fans. Because that's just, you know, to say that you're out there, you're playing grab ass and you know whether you're going to win or lose. You know, Brock Lesnar, this is a guy that attempted a shooting star press at, at probably about 300, uh, about 300 pounds, maybe more in the WWE, nearly crippled himself in the process. Yes, mixed martial artists aren't in there doing a shooting star press in the octagon, but the fact is that you have to respect that. You have to respect a guy that goes in there and, you know, has lengthy matches. And this is the funny thing. A lot of guys talk about, you know, you can practice in the gym all you want. Hell, Daniel Bryan said it in an interview in Bleacher Report. He said, you can be in the gym all you want and do simulations and practice all you want, but it's a different type of conditioning that you're going to need to go out there and have an eight-minute match, a 10-minute match, a 15-minute match. Hell, when you got when these guys go out there and have 60-minute Ironman matches, it's a different level of conditioning because you're not stopping. 
You know, yeah, you have your rest holds, and, you know, if you're Randy Orton, you have 17 chin locks. But at the end of the day, there's a different level of athleticism required. Again, both sports require a certain type of crazy to do. And Brendan Schaub, he's trying to secure that payday, but I just think that he's doing it in, in, a, in a way that's just, it's just poorly, poorly done. He could have just as easily said, Brock Lesnar's going to come back from WrestleMania, and I'm going to kick his ass and send him back to WrestleMania. And and that would have been fine, but to you know call professional wrestling grab ass that's a little a little much I think it's a little you know I don't want to say classless because it's not classless I just feel that it's just um, incorrectly timed shit talking we'll go with that anyway this weekend of course we got UFC on Fox straight out of Boston um, a really really big card there's a lot of things that we are. Um, very, very interested in seeing here at My Take Radio. Um, Benson Henderson, Donald Cerrone, hype for that fight. Um, Uriah Hall finally has an opponent uh, after Costa Filippo dropped out and Lewis Taylor was injured. Uh, he will be facing Ron Stallings and um, definitely going to be a fight worth checking out. I'm really hyped for that. Uh, the other fight, Norm Park, Glayson Tebow. Glayson Tebow is definitely not a slouch. Don't take that guy lightly, so... That fight may be the dark horse of this card. And, of course, like I said, Conor McGregor, Dennis Seaver, um, a title opportunity is on the line for Conor McGregor against Jose Aldo if he gets past Dennis Seaver decisively. So just for a recap, the UFC Fight Pass portion of the prelims begins at 6 p.m. The other prelims are on Fox Sports 1 at 7 o'clock, and the main card is on there at 10 p.m. Eastern. That is um, on... I thought it was the 17th. For some reason, I have here that it's the 18th. Either way, um, I'll make sure to try and share the weigh-ins with you guys. Uh, they'll probably be on Friday, so be on the lookout for that on Rageworks, and you guys can check that out as well. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about, and this is something that we've talked about on countless episodes, is the uh, the super fights. Everybody wants to ha- wants to see a super fight in the UFC, whether it's John Jones and Cain Velasquez you know, Anderson Silva and John Jones at one point, everybody feels that super sites, uh, excuse me, super fights are inevitable. Now, ironically enough, TJ Dillashaw said that he would like to have a super fight with Jose Aldo. When asked, he said, now would be the time because I don't have anyone to fight. He was asked about facing Henan Barrow again, and he said, I wanted that cruise fight so bad. I feel like it's something that fans wanted and I wanted and it was something to put a stamp on my championship. But maybe, again, I have to train for my third Barrow fight. I don't think he deserves a title shot, but he might be the only one in line. Now, he was asked if he would uh, fight his teammate, Uriah Faber, and he said, I guess I could give it a 1% figure, but I don't see it happening. We don't want to fight each other. He's the one who talked me into fighting. Now, it's true. I think that an opportunity for a super fight between Dillashaw and Aldo would be interesting, and it would definitely generate a sizable buy rate. But you have to weigh out, and I've talked about this before. Uh, this, you know, the UFC also looks at 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 quote unquote moving the needle, and you have to ask yourself: TJ Dillashaw super fight, Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo in Ireland. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a very 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 big. Um, you know, it, it's a big difference between both fights. Don't get me wrong. A super fight will definitely, you know, move the needle, quote unquote. But Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor would probably generate bigger interest, obviously, because McGregor will go out of his way to sell the shit out of that fight 
Plus, if you do it in Ireland, forget it. It's going to be Dana White swimming in money along with the Fertitas like Scrooge McDuck. But again, we'll see what happens either way, whether it's McGregor and Aldo, Aldo and TJ Dillashaw. Either way, both those fights would be amazing to watch, and I hope we get one of those sooner rather than later. Now, when I started the show, I talked about John Jones being in the news this week, and um, you guys won't believe this. So, John Jones' mom <laughs> was interviewed by CBS affiliate WBNG-TV. She said, and I quote, John's stay in rehab lasted one day, and that he is, quote-unquote, continuing to get more educated on the subject. She then added that John Jones is going to be at Sunday's AFC Championship game to watch his brothers, Arthur Jones, of course, on the Indianapolis Colts, and Chandler Jones on the New England Patriots square off. Camille Jones also added the following. I'm glad that this happened to John. This stopped him in his tracks. This let him know that he may need to change some friends because everyone is not for you for the best. This is a good thing as far as our family is concerned. So we weren't upset. Me and my husband considered it a blessing from God that our child was able to be helped and know that he needed to stop and know that he needed assistance to stop before it came to something worse. Now, you know, in life, we, we have we have there's a there's an old saying that in life, we are the sum of the five people we're closest to. Some people may believe that some people may not depends on who you ask but for you to look at this and think that john jones needs to continue to get educated on the subject instead of doing a full course of rehab is ridiculous i don't give a shit what kind of discipline you have you're not just you're not you're just gonna stop using coke from one day at rehab it's bullshit stop lying to yourself these are the facts the guy got bagged you know he got bagged and he had to go to rehab. Rehab is not a one day thing. I know guys that have done rehab that have gone back into rehab for whatever, for their own demons, whatever they may, you know, whatever they may be without putting their business out there. And the fact is, this is a lifelong process. Everything's a process. Everything's a step from the guy that gets his six month sobriety chip to the guy that gets his one year sobriety chip to the guy that you know, doesn't attend certain functions because the temptation is always there. So the individual that cuts off certain people that were um, enabling the bad behavior, it is a multi-step approach. And for, you know, for his mom to come out and, you know, it's his mom. I understand she's going to do her best and she's going to, you know, she's going to try and spin it in a positive light. But you should not have gone on record saying that John Jones did a one day stint in rehab. You should have said, hey, you know, my son is working through it. It's a it's a process. And, you know, we'd appreciate if you respected our privacy at this time. And that's it. And if he shows up at the game to watch his brothers play, no, excuse me, nobody would have batted an eyelash because they would have seen him supporting his family. That's it. But the fact that you go out there and say, yeah, he did a day in rehab and now he's going to go and, you know, he's going to read some books and he's going to research. There is no research. You did coke. God knows how long you did coke. And now all of a sudden you're going to research? What are you researching? You need to sit in a chair in a room full of people and say, Hello, my name is John, and I have a substance abuse problem. 
to which people respond, hi, John, and that's it. And you need to do that for the foreseeable future, period. That's it. And when you are deemed fit or deemed not a danger to yourself, then we move forward. Seriously. It's, it's insane. It is insane. And, and, you know, I understand what, what his mom is saying about, you know, not everybody's f- with you. Not everybody you surround yourself with is there with your best interests in mind. And I agree 110%. We all have those friends. We all have those guys that, you know, you're, you're not to say that you get pressured into it, but the probability of you getting into some shit increases when you're with certain individuals. We have those friends. We have them. We have those guys. We got the guys that, you know, that they have, they might have a gambling problem or they might have a substance abuse problem. And you got to cut those people off because you don't want to get caught out there. I can go on record and say that I've, I've eliminated my fair share of friends that just were involved in, in different things that I'm just not a fan of, whether it's, you know, the street game or, or, or just, just things that weren't conducive to, to, you know, me as a human being. And, and that's part of the, that's part of the situation here. I mean, the guy's a successful, a successful athlete worth millions of dollars. He's, you know, everybody caters to him. The guy walks around and it's true. It's, it's a very, very jarring experience when you're, you know, when you're, when you're a, uh, you know, when you're a prominent, a prominent athlete that pretty much the entire world tells you that you are one of the most dangerous men walking the planet. I don't care who you are, but if you're, if you're not mature enough to handle that, it's going to fuck with you a little bit, period. You know, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. And, and, you know, I understand the way that, again, his mother approached it and, and, you know, it's no disrespect to his mom because a lot of mothers would do it the same way, but I just feel that, you know, the, the, that you're, you're, you're utilizing certain things that you don't need to utilize. You need to be clear, concise, and you need to cut it off because things like this are going to be spun in a negative light. I'll be honest when I tell you, I saw at least seven websites today that said John Jones does a one day stint at rehab and he's magic and he's magically cured question mark. And I saw it not only on MMA websites, but just mainstream sites. Uproxx, I saw it on um, a couple of other sites. You know, and it's crazy. It's crazy that all it took was his mom doing the right thing, just giving an update. And and because, you know, she was honest in it, everybody looks at it like, yo, your son did a one-day stint for Coke. It's 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 a crazy, crazy situation. And I'll say this, um, you know, when John Jones goes to see his brothers play, it's going to be a very sizable distraction. Now, it's obviously not going to affect the game itself because the game is the game, but it will affect a lot of other things. If the Patriots win and, you know, Chandler Jones is on the field and he might be interviewed and he's standing there with his brother John, oh, you know, Chandler, you know, I, I see you're here with John. John, how's recovery going? Now, his brother might be saying, say, you know, his brother's going to be like, yo, you know, what the, what the fuck? And it's true. And that's what I mean. There's going to be a, a distraction there because depending on the media outlet, depending on how it goes, it may come to that. Hey, John, how's your recovery going? And you don't want that. You don't want that to detract from, you know, a victory in a, in a championship game. You don't want that. And I just feel that if he was going to be there, it should have just been kept quiet. And that's it. Much like the Coke thing. That shit shouldn't have been made public either until the UFC had disciplinary measures in effect for that. 
Seriously. It's it's insane. But um, you know, I just want to go I want to go into the into the chat and acknowledge some of the some of the lines in there. We're getting a lot of great lines from our guys. Uh Mortis says, uh Matt Riddle pops for weed. Dana White goes on a tirade and calls him an idiot and stupid. <laughs> Jones gets popped for cocaine. Dana White says, well, people make mistakes. That is 100% true, and that is a video that has been floating around the internet for the last couple of weeks, and it is priceless. Mortis then adds, maybe Dana should be tested. Dana and John were probably doing lines together. Slick adds, Rich cut me off because I am addicted to chicken. <laughs> I miss my man, Rich. I hope... And um, Mortis adds, I hope you get help for that. <laughs> oh, man, it's it's crazy. But think about it. It's it, it's just a that entire turn of events, that entire thing that his mom probably did just, you know, to answer questions is just snowballing into everybody saying, yo, this dude did a one day stint in rehab. It's it's insane. Anyway, moving along. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people are going to take this the wrong way as well. And it is a um, an interesting statement from Lorenzo Fertitta with regards to Conor McGregor in that he says that Conor, he feels that Conor McGregor is the Irish Muhammad Ali. Um, Yeah, My, there's one Muhammad Ali and that's it. There's people that are close that want to emulate, but there's only one the same way. There's only one Michael Jordan one Mike Tyson, and that's how it's going to be. The problem is that as a society, we try and and put these guys in the shoes of athletes that are similar, and there's a level of expectation and pressure, both from a fan's perspective and from an athlete's perspective, and the fact is, Muhammad Ali, there's only one. Muhammad Ali is only one. Cassius Clay. <laughs> a little coming to America reference there, but it's true. You, you um, you know... You got to look at it from that standpoint. When when Conor McGregor came on the scene and he started being brash and cocky and whatnot, yes, the comparisons are there. But you can't you can't create that level of expectation because that level of expectation is what's going to be a hindrance for a lot of these guys. And uh, you know we've talked about that. You know the pressures for guys like John Jones, the pressures for for guys like Chael. Anderson Silva, Nick Diaz, hell, Nick Diaz. That's why he hates being in the in the quote unquote press side of the sport because he just wants to go out there and he wants to fight. I mean, GSP, you know, he he talks about it. I talk about the pressure all the time. All the aliens, I see them all the time. I don't know Nick Diaz. I have to go to my dark place. You know, like like that's that's how it is. Like George St. Pierre is a great example of the pressures of mixed martial arts. He talks about it at length all the time, and and it, it has to be, you know, there's people that they take that pressure and it makes them better. Ronda Rousey is a great example of that, just taking that pressure, turning it inwards, and becoming a better athlete. And then there's others that the pressure, they collapse under it. How many guys have we talked about that are, you know, the, the future of the sport, a guy that you have to look out for, and their careers just don't end up being where they are? This happens in every sport. But it's funny because in MMA there's so many there's so many archetypes that you're trying to you're trying to mold into names that people recognize just for the just for the fact that you want to get that person on a on a bigger pedestal. Like I said, Conor McGregor, well dressed, brash, cocky. We got it. Is he a Muhammad Ali? Sure, he may emulate Muhammad Ali, but uh, but 
it's it's a comparison of apples and oranges. Same thing with Mike Tyson. There will be one Mike Tyson. Always has been, always will be. Sure, guys are going to come along that have that same ferocity, that same tenacity, that same that same zest for violence, but it's not the same. You're not going to be able to measure it the same way. It's impossible. It's impossible. And for, for Tita to do that, yes, it's a good way to get a soundbite and it's a good way to get McGregor out there, but you're also creating false expectations because there's only one of that caliber fighter. There's only one Muhammad Ali, period. And sure, to many, he may be the best alive. To many, it's debatable. This is a, you know, it's an argument as old as time. And we've talked about this, you know, I've talked about this with, with friends of mine who are, who are really into boxing. And there's some guys that they'll say, hey, I can't stand Muhammad Ali and to consider him the greatest of all time. You know, I don't believe that. And then, you know, they'll give their own, their own opinions. You know, Joe Frazier, Joe Lewis, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard, Mike Tyson, uh, you know, going Manny Pacquiao, um, you know, Triple G, uh, Canelo Alvarez. It, it, it depends on who you ask. And, uh, yeah, guys like Canelo Alvarez, Triple G, yes, you're not saying they're the greatest of all time. But, again, you're creating you're creating these your, – correction. You're pigeonholing these guys because of who they are, and then you're forcing other guys that are on the come up to fall into that. I mean, it's hap- there's no better example than Michael Jordan. Kobe Bryant's the next Michael Jordan. LeBron James is the next Michael Jordan. Harold Miner is the next Michael Jordan. Nope. There's only one MJ. There always has been, and there always will be. Guys are going to come and go and break his records, but there's only one Michael Jordan, period. Simple as that. Anyway, on the Bellator side of things, Bobby Lashley was forced to withdraw from his fight with James the the Colossus Thompson. Um, As of right now, James Thompson has no opponent for his fight, but there's a rumor that King Mo may step up and take that fight. I don't know how how certain that is, but um, yep, Bobby Lashley and his fight with James Thompson is not happening at the present time due to injury. On the UFC side of things, um, looks like both Sergio and Anthony Pettis will be fighting on the same card, UFC 185. Um, Sergio Pettis is dropping a flyweight. He's going to be taking on Ryan Benoit. Anthony Pettis, of course, will be defending his belt against Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, Roy Nelson is going to be taking on Alistair Overeem. And Kiss and Chris Carasio will be taking on uh, the very dangerous, and again, a guy who everyone has great expectations for, Henry Cajudo. That goes down March 14th. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Those are all the MMA news for the week. Um, we're going to get into some wrestling. As always, if you want to get involved, 347 324 Three five four one again three four seven three two four three five four one. If you want to participate in this week's wrestling segment, Booker T, you know what time it is. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. As always, our wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders of $70 or more. Again, that promo code is WWESAVE10 for our sponsor, WWEShop.com. All right, so we have the Royal Rumble 
pretty much two weeks away. And this is something I've talked about at length, and I'm going to really get into it now. For this segment, you have four marquee pay-per-views. We've talked about this. There's, there's 12 pay-per-views a year. Four of them, four, are the most important. SummerSlam, Survivor Series, The Rumble, and WrestleMania itself. Those are the four. Everything else, filler. All of it. Elimination Chamber, filler. Money in the Bank, filler. Extreme Rules, filler. I only measure the success of the WWE based on four pay-per-views. You want to know why? Because it is those four pay-per-views that can change the course of wrestling history, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. It is in those instances where legends are genuinely created. Sure, you can talk about TLC and all these other events, but those events stem from events that happened at those four pay-per-views. The first Money in the Bank match, the first TLC match, all of that happened during regular pay-per-views. Hell in the Cell, regular pay-per-view before it became its own. Same thing with the Elimination Chamber, etc., etc. So, as such, there is an expectation as a wrestling fan that those four pay-per-views are going to be the end-all, be-all. As a wrestling fan before the WWE Network, you didn't want to go and spend $49.99, $59.99, hell, $69.99 in some instances for any of the lesser pay-per-views. But you knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that you had $240 allocated to watch WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and the Rumble. For half that, of course, you can watch all the pay-per-views on the network. Take that for what it's worth, but obviously the savings are obvious. The savings are obvious. Now, I'll say this. When a big big pay-per-view, such as the Rumble, Survivor Series, Mania, or SummerSlam are are pretty much around the corner, you expect that the build-up for that pay-per-view is consistently great every week. And I'm talking about great like superstars making returns, hardcore angles being established, great feuds, solid wrestling, great entertaining value but unfortunately wwe has become complacent in shoving the same shit down our throats now i've talked about this i've talked about the authority and you know my stance on them on two shows and uh josh of course uh, one of one of my good friends and a writer on the site gave me a call uh last week and he said he's like dude you know you did the show And you said that the authority is a necessary evil. The authority fucking sucks. How could you say that? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we we spoke about it at length. And I said that, you know, the, the evil empire, the evil boss, or the good boss and the and the super evil employee has been a staple in wrestling booking since the Austin McMahon era. And people have tried to recapture that a million different ways, whether it's Dixie Carter and TNA, um, you know, uh, Eddie, Cue- uh, what's his name? Cueto in uh, Dario Cueto in Lucha Underground or, or any Jim Cornette in whatever organization he's in. It is a, it is something that has been utilized at length. Obviously the best, most successful and most memorable is going to be Austin McMahon. So as such, you try to emulate that every way that you can because you feel that it wasn't a one-shot deal and it wasn't lightning in a bottle 
and you figure, fuck it, we're going to try and do it again. I disagree. Uh, while, while I said, yes, there's, there's a place for the evil authority figure or the good authority figure, the execution of that is what always stands out. Yes, the authority is a necessary evil. Yes, it is. But the problem with the authority is that they are not their own entity. It's Stephanie McMahon pretending she's Vince, and it's Triple H mixing in half Vince, half his wrestling persona, and hoping for the best. And in doing so, they end up detracting and being a hindrance more than being helpful. And, you know, when Jay was on the show last week, he said, you know, we, we can have an authority figure that doesn't need to be on TV every week. You know, Jack Tunney in the old days, when you saw Jack Tunney on your television, something big was going to happen. Somebody was going to get suspended or, or a high-profile match was going to be put together. But he wasn't on TV every week. Neither was Gorilla Monsoon, etc., etc., etc. And that's one of those things that after the Austin McMahon era, everybody utilized that as a crutch, breaking the quote-unquote th- fourth wall. Eric Bischoff aligning with the NWO after being the guy backstage. Vince Russo, another guy, came from behind the camera to the front of the camera, and everybody hated it. Dixie Carter, same thing. Shane McMahon, same thing. Stephanie McMahon, same thing. Triple H now, same thing. Evil general managers, we've had them all. Vicky Guerrero, Mike Adamley, Paul Heyman, Mick Foley, good or bad. And the fact is that... It's always going to be the same booking. It's always going to be the same. If you got the evil manager, he's going to make it uh, uh, cor- correction. If you have the evil authority figure, he's going to make it a pain in the ass for every face on that roster. And if you have a face general manager, he's going to make it impossible for every heel on that roster. It's it's cliched, it's old, and it's and it's tiresome. But unfortunately, WWE feels that that's what works. Simple as that. So, of course, Raw opens up with another guy who, who's slowly becoming the I'm going to have to change my channel while this guy talks, and that is John Cena. So, of course, John Cena comes out acknowledging the firing of Ziggler, Rowan, and Ryback, and, of course, that leads to the authority coming out, blah, blah, blah. Hey, we're going to give you the uh, an opportunity to win their jobs back as long as you can survive and defeat Seth Rollins in a Lumberjack match. Now... As, as again, cliched as it is, you knew that the Lumberjacks were going to be all heels. You knew it was happening. And as soon as they said that match is happening now and all the, all the Lumberjacks came out, it was all heels. Bad News Barrett, all the usual suspects. And as soon as they came out, I said, John Cena's losing this match because we're going to drag it out. Now, the first thing that people start to complain about is, oh, Seth Rollins, blah, blah, blah. He's being booked um, terribly, etc., etc. Seth Rollins is being booked in a way that benefits Seth Rollins in the sense that you know the authorities behind him, you know the authorities, the the power behind Seth Rollins. But the problem is that in doing it, sometimes they overdo it. Now, when you when you hear that, you're probably like, "How so? How are they overdoing it?" And I'll tell you because Seth Rollins is when he does win, he very very rarely wins clean. Even during this match, oh, he beat, he pinned John Cena. Yes, after a KO punch from the Big Show. And this is what I'm saying. Going and giving Rollins so many of these quote-unquote, you know, 
sketchy finishes is doing more harm than good. And while I understand you're doing it at the expense of the authorities' will, you're also hurting the performer in the process. And again, John Cena, Seth Rollins, we knew it was going to end exactly the way it was because you're you're not bringing back Ryback, Rowan, and Dolph Ziggler right away. So the outcome of that match, whether it ended in countout, shenanigans, all the lumberjacks fighting, you knew that at the end of the day, John Cena was not going to win. And like I said, we've watched that match a dozen times, but, you know, the booking just felt haphazard. It felt thrown together. I will say that Seth Rollins continues to improve leaps and bounds on the microphone, continues to become one of the marquee heels on the broadcast, aside from, obviously, the authority who who many people feel is are, you know, at the top of their game and I'm sorry to say it Stephanie McMahon sucks her her quote-unquote heel tactics suck why because she's not her own character she tries to be Vince in a dress and it fails miserably miserably anyway so um of course we cut to a segment backstage with Stephanie McMahon talking about quote-unquote disciplinary actions and of course the Usos and Dean Ambrose are back there expecting to have some punishment laid out, but Stephanie McMahon, of course, curveball, turns out the Usos aren't going to be punished, but that Naomi is going to have a match with one arm tied behind her back against Alicia Fox, which we all know that the one arm behind the back matches are nine times out of ten, the opportunity for you to go and either take a leak, make yourself a snack, or maybe take that dump that you've been holding for the last half hour. And this was no different. Anyway, Dean Ambrose was uh, pretty much sent to get a psychological evaluation, which considering how, you know, erratic Dean Ambrose persona is, the segment was either going to be very good or very bad. Now, there was a part of me that was hoping we get something along the lines of Dr. Shelby with Kane and Daniel Bryan, but instead we got something totally different, and it was a nice segue to acknowledge the sometimes amusing uh, SmackDown Thursday commercial. And um, Ambrose did a great job in the segment. I felt it worked very well. And um, the payoff for the segment was just as funny. Now, the uh, they did a backstage segment with um, The Miz and Damian Mizdow, which was okay, but it just felt so out of place because it really was serving no purpose whatsoever. But I did find that the, um, you know, I did find that Ambrose's segment was definitely substantially better than um, Ms. Dow and the Miz's segment for the Golden Globes. I thought that was just forced and honestly kind of lame in my opinion. Anyway, Cesaro and Tyson Kidd continue to grow as a tag team in a tag team match against the New Day, this combination being Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. I really thought that the match itself was, was solid, and the involvement of Adam Rose escapes me because I just feel that aligning Cesaro, Kid, and Adam Rose together is just completely stupid. But if you're trying to set up the inevitable six-man tag match against the New Day at the Royal Rumble, then I can understand the point. But I'll, I'll tell you guys right now, the New Day gimmick is shit. It's shit. Them coming out, shucking and jiving, being all happy-go-lucky. It, it gets to the point where... You know, they're shitty, and it's not even by by accident that they're shitty. Their gimmick is shit. The announce team doesn't even bother to put them over. It's just a bad, bad state of affairs 
for all three of those guys, and I feel terrible for them because they're stuck trying to make this gimmick work. Meanwhile, on the flip side, pairing Cesaro and Kidd, while you would think that it would turn out to be terrible, we have got some good tag team wrestling from both guys. You get a, a, an air of you know power and glory there. Um, just you know a lot of the strong style with a lot of the high flying. I think it works. And I also like that Cesaro and Kidd are doing a lot of really cool double team moves together. And I think as a tag team, if you give them a good name, maybe put Natalia as the valet, you could do a lot with them in a tag team. But you have to let them work. Saddling them with the new day and hoping for the best is just a terrible thing to do. I mean, if you're trying to groom a team to start to start feuding with the Ascension, then maybe you want to use Kofi Kingston or uh, Big E or whoever, because at least at that point, you're giving them a meaningful feud with fresh opponents. You know, Slick adds that the pairing of Cesaro and Kid is actually helping Natalia's diva angle with Paige. This is true, but I also, you know, I try not to acknowledge that because that's all Total Divas shitty booking, um, which, you know, for the sake of getting that show over, the fact that you try and force it into my, my wrestling product is is a detriment. But I understand where you're coming from, and it's true, it does, it does serve a purpose in that respect. But I do feel that the pairing of Kid and Cesaro from a, a tag team wrestling perspective is good, but it just needs to be utilized better. Anyway. I wanna I wanna get into this um and this is just this is terrible. This is probably the lowest point of the evening. And it involves the big show coming out to cut a promo and Roman Reigns coming out to cut a promo. And the fact that Roman Reigns utilized Jack and the Beanstalk in his promo was the most abysmal thing I've seen them do with Reigns in the last couple of weeks. And at that point, you know, you make you're trying to make him cut a promo on par with something that would come out of the mouth of the rock. And it just looks terrible. Terrible. The entire exchange was embarrassing. It was embarrassing for me as a fan, and it should have been embarrassing for Reigns as a performer. And I say this because somebody writes your promo. They tell you, hey Roman, this is what you're gonna say. As a superstar, yes, you may not be the best at promo work. But holy shit, reading that promo on paper should have made you say, you guys really want me to fucking say this? Are you serious? Because it was terrible. Terrible. This is, a, this is a guy who used, you know, I think it was suffering succotash in his promo last week, which leads me to believe that the rumor that Vince writes his promos is fucking true. Because man, oh man, is it shit. And I'm sorry to say it. You guys want it to work, you know, Creative wants it to work so badly, and Vince wants to make it work so badly, but Roman Reigns is not ready for the main event. The more you put him in these feuds with guys like The Big Show, he's going to continue to be exposed as a one-dimensional guy. And, and you know, it's, it's, that's exactly it, one-dimensional. Let's, let's jump in the time machine, in the My Take Radio time machine, and look at The Shield as a unit when they debuted. Dean Ambrose handled the bulk of the mic work. As Seth Rollins improved, Seth Rollins handled most of the mic work. Roman Reigns was relegated to either silence, one word, or just doing his talking in the ring. And that is still the case today. Rollins is a better worker. He is better on the mic than Roman Reigns. Ambrose is better on the mic, 
better, better on you know overall than Roman Reigns. But Roman Reigns, since he's the WWE product, all energy is forced on him, and that should not be the case. What you're doing is you're turning Roman Reigns into Rocky Maivia. You're not turning him into The Rock. You're turning him into Rocky Maivia, where people pretty much boo him as soon as he comes out, or the die, Rocky, die chance. I'm sorry, the Roman Empire catchphrase is not going to catch on. Not happening. These terrible fucking promos that only worked for The Rock are not going to work for him because he just doesn't believe him. He doesn't believe in them. You could see on the guy's face that he doesn't even believe in the promo he's cutting. Me and a, and a good friend of mine had a conversation about Ryback's promo a couple of weeks ago where he was talking about the secret and all the stuff that impacted him as a performer. And I thought that that was probably the most genuine version of Ryback I saw on my screen. It showed that he had that he was more than just a lumbering oaf and that he was a, a, a good, you know, he was good on the mic when given the opportunity to be himself. Roman Reigns needs to either be himself or get a mouthpiece. Because right now, he is, he is his own worst enemy. Every time he cuts a promo, he, he, he distances himself from the rest of the pack. I'm sorry to say, he could be athletic as all hell. He could jump over, you know, he could jump over all three ropes in the ring, land on the announce table with perfect form, and not break a sweat. But the fact that you cut a promo and you suffer in succotash in a promo negates that completely. It is terrible. Anybody that, that, that believes otherwise is a fucking fool, and Vince is feeding you that bullshit. Because right now, it is obvious to me that Roman Reigns is not ready for the main event. Besides the fact that you want to get this guy WrestleMania ready between now and April, are you kidding me? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. I'd honestly take Brock Lesnar and Daniel Bryan in a match at WrestleMania than Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar now. Because it, it's, it's terrible. See, Brock Lesnar is not the best talker, but, you know, Paul Heyman sees to it that Brock Lesnar's strengths are emphasized at the right moment. Nobody's doing that for Roman Reigns. Nobody's emphasizing his strengths. On the contrary, you are shining a spotlight on his weaknesses, and that's his mic work, which is complete shit. It's an embarrassment that he comes out there and he cuts a Jack and the Beanstalk promo with the Big Show. It's embarrassing. And I just looked at the pro- I looked at my screen as this promo is unfolding. And I said to myself, you just buried this guy. You genuinely just buried him. And it wasn't even intentional. So that match led to a match with him and Luke Harper, which was surprisingly good. Um, Harper did succeed in making Roman Reigns look good in that match. But again, this boils down to the same thing that I've said before. Put Roman Reigns in a two-minute or three-minute match, you're going to have a passable match. Put him in there in a longer match with a quality opponent, the opponent is going to carry the bulk of the load. Seriously, the bulk of the load was carried in that match by Luke Harper. And that's because Luke Harper, even though he looks like he's a homeless guy, is a better worker than Roman Reigns. Again, Luke Harper is a better worker than Roman Reigns. Any day of the week, he is an infinitely better worker. And if you disagree, by all means, pick up that phone and let me know. And give me 
solid, concrete proof why you feel why you know why you feel that Roman Reigns is a better worker than a guy like Luke Harper. Because I tell you right now, it is bullshit. Simple as that. Bullshit. Anyway, Naomi and Alicia Fox had their one hand tied behind the back match for Naomi, which was as lame as you would expect. I actually took that opportunity to go downstairs and make myself a snack. And when I came back, the match wasn't even fully over. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was exactly what you would expect. Shit. Anyway, we get a little bit of image association with Dean Ambrose, which was pretty funny. Uh, the first thing he yelled out, of course, was Thursday, which amused me greatly. Um, he got, they showed him a picture of Triple H. He said irritable bowel syndrome, which was funny. Uh, Seth Rollins, scumbag. Roman Reigns, he said brother, which is, which is fine, you know, whatever. Kane, he said toothpaste, which is, which is interesting just because, you know, Kane's original gimmick when he first debuted was Isaac Yankum DDS, the, uh, the dentist for Jerry the King Lawler. So I did find that very amusing. Uh, Jim Duggan, of course, Ho was the, uh, the answer for that, which also led to Ho being used as the answer for a picture of Stephanie McMahon. Definitely, uh, quite amusing for sure. Now, here's, here's the funny thing. The, um, they did a match with Jey Uso and the Miz because clearly Miz and Miz Dow are still feuding with the Usos because obviously the inevitable tag team title match is happening at the Royal Rumble. Just, just take a nap for that match. Not because the Usos and Miz and Mizdow don't have great chemistry, but it's because it's a match we've seen, I think, what, three weeks now? And, of course, Mizdow continues to steal the show, and the inevitable breakup of Miz and Mizdow will definitely be a great payoff for WrestleMania season. Now we get our Daniel Bryan, obligatory Daniel Bryan, Stephanie McMahon segment, which leads to Kane coming out and trying to cripple Daniel Bryan by pile driving him into the steps. Of course, we all know Daniel Bryan gains the upper hand, which he did, and proceeds to kick Kane's ass and get a huge yes chant going once again. Now, seeing Daniel Bryan's popularity has not waned, it makes you wonder if the odds are in his favor to win the Royal Rumble and challenge for the WWE World Heavyweight title. I'd say there's there's a 50-50 chance that, you know, we may get the surprise uh, we, we may get a big surprise with Daniel Bryan winning because, honestly, it's a great story, overcoming the odds, overcoming injury and adversity to once again derail the authorities' plans and become champion. It writes itself, and it's a good payoff. Will we see that? I think that remains to be seen. Slick says, Daniel Bryan is not going to catch a pile driver anytime soon. Absolutely the hell not. Definitely not. We got a little bit more Diva action, which, of course, is, is angle advancement for Total Divas with Brie Bella squaring off against Paige in a, in a pretty decent match um, other than, than Tyson Kidd's inadvertent involvement and a, and a subsequent slap in the face. It continues to be, um, you know, Total Diva angle advancement at the expense of, obviously, Tyson Kidd and the rest of the other Divas on the roster. We got a backstage segment with Bray Wyatt saying he was joining the Rumble, which is great. Then um, we got the official announcement that Randy Savage was your marquee name going into the Hall of Fame, which was, um, you know, it definitely was bittersweet for me as a fan. Um, I've been waiting a long time to see that announcement on my TV screen. Um, When you look at the who's who of professional wrestling, when you talk about I'd like to do a Mount Rushmore of 80s wrestling superstars, the first names that come to mind are Hogan, Savage, Warrior 
and in my opinion, probably Jake the Snake. These are guys that were iconic in their own right for different reasons. When you talk about one of the most iconic villains during the 80s wrestling era, you're either going to say Jake the Snake or Rick Rude. I mean, I like both guys, but I just felt Jake the Snake was just a more cerebral villain during his tenure in the 80s, and I think that he was in a league of his own. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, like I said, you talk about a guy who was who who had the complete package. He had intensity. He had the physique. He had the look. He had the move set. He had Miss Elizabeth. He was he was everything that fans could get behind at that time when you were looking for an alternative to Hulk Hogan. When he became a heel and he became the Macho King, um, you know when he became a heel with the with Sensational Sherry and the and then they tied it into No Holds Barred with Zeus and he was feuding with Hogan. It was it was just great stuff. When the Mega Powers exploded, nothing nothing jumped out more than that angle when you were an 80s kid and you saw two of your favorite wrestlers just fall apart on your screen. Nobody will ever forget that. When you talk about uh, guys like the Ultimate Warrior, regardless of whether you feel that the Ultimate Warrior had a limited move set, was, uh, was a deranged individual, didn't bring uh, enough to the wrestling business as a whole, his impact still felt to this day from, you know, the intensity that's seen from the shaking of the ropes to, to the running down to the ring. Like I said, his matches, not five-star masterpieces, but when we watch wrestling in the eighties, we watched it with, with an innocence, with an innocence that was broken down in terms of entertainment and escaping from reality. Now that we're older, we're a little bit more jaded. We're a little bit more cynical. We're looking at everything from an analytical standpoint. And sometimes even I have to stop myself when I watch older matches and, and look at all the flaws in them because back then things were simpler. You know that you had your good guys, you had your bad guys, you know who to root for, you know who to boo, and that was it. But when you look back, when you look at that time, you realize that those guys really did lay the groundwork for so many iconic superstars today. And, you know, to see Randy Savage, one of the last guys who I always said deserved to be in there sooner rather than later was was tremendous for me just as a fan, just to see that and to see that video package and and to see the video packages of all the wrestlers, you know, trying to imitate my Randy Macho Man Savage. It was it was great because the guy was in a league all his own, his promos, his look, his ring gear. I mean, when I was watching the the video package, I said to my wife, I'm like, man, when Macho Man used to wear the capes, it was fucking awesome because the capes were huge and lavish and really over the top, but they just worked. Then the guy comes out, you know, with, with tassels all over his jacket and a cowboy hat, and it worked. It was just, you know, it's one of those things that when you look at it, you say to yourself, man, you know, that was that was a crazy, crazy time. You had, you know, over-the-top bad guys, over-the-top good guys, and like I said, you watched it with such with an innocence that that's just it's not there now nowadays. You know, like I said, we're 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 more informed, more aware, and to a to an extent more jaded. I mean, I acknowledge that at times I can be jaded, but it's also because I'm watching wrestling from an analytical and you know not just purely entertainment standpoint. I know a lot of guys that watch it strictly from an entertainment standpoint. And when I point out certain flaws, they're like, yeah, man, but, you know, it was still kind of cool to watch. And, you know, we have that. Uh, like I said, Macho Man's announcement for me as a fan was probably the high, the high point of this broadcast. And don't get me wrong, it was a rumor that circulated on the web throughout the day. And once again, those are the kind of things that 
they 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 suck the the energy out of wrestling because without the internet you wouldn't have known that and it would have been cool to just turn it on see the announcement and just genuinely be surprised but either way the video package the way it was done was um was really classy by the WWE but I do have one issue and that is that Savage is being inducted by Hulk Hogan and pretty much right up until he died Hogan and Savage were definitely at odds so to see that to see Hogan be the guy inducting him is is really not the right thing to do if I if anybody would induct Macho Man Randy Savage into the Hall of Fame it should be his brother Lanny Poffo the genius or it should be one of the guys that was part of one of the most memorable matches in wrestling history, and it should be Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Because when people talk about wrestling classics, it's going to be Savage and Steamboat at, rest, I believe it was WrestleMania 3. You, you can't. You can't sweep that under the rug. Yes, I understand the mega powers, but by putting Hogan in that in that predicament to put to induct Savage in the Hall of Fame... It's going to be partially Hogan putting himself over as well. I, I want to think that that's not the case, but I almost feel that it's going to go in that direction. Again, Savage should have been inducted either by his brother, the genius, or by Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. As for the video package, it was very well done. If there's one thing WWE has is an amazing production department, and to also see all the superstars you know, trying to impersonate Randy Macho Man Savage was definitely one of the high points also of the evening. I think The Miz and and Roman Reigns kind of kind of did a a really really good job with it, but like I said, you have one of the most iconic guys in the game and, you know, I other than what I saw on Monday night with uh, you know, Miz, Roman Reigns doing it, I think probably one of the best impersonations of Randy Savage I've ever seen is Jay Lethal's Black Machismo um who who still to this day does an incredible Randy Macho Man Savage. Simple as that. I am pumped for the Hall of Fame. I'm glad to see him getting inducted, and it's probably going to be a moment that's going to be remembered for quite some time. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Randy Macho Man Savage is your first entrant into the 2015 Hall of Fame class. Ooh, yeah. Fantastic. All right, so the Ascension took on two jobbers, and I went and got myself something to eat. Yet again, because it was awful. Anyway, uh, Lana comes out with Rusev to shit on Ryback, which obviously is going to add fuel to the fire of Ryback and Rusev's inevitable collision course, which I'm sure will happen either at the Rumble or shortly thereafter. But I did like um, Dean Ambrose and Rusev's match. It was it was fun, and um, the ending was a little abrupt with the ref stopping the match, but... Um, I felt that there was definitely something there. I, I think Ambrose, given the opportunity and good opponents, really can showcase that that quote-unquote lunatic fringe. And R- Rusev brought that out a little bit. I just feel that Rusev, in the in the effort to book him so strong, a lot of these guys just don't. They don't get to benefit as they should. And, you know, Ambrose is definitely in that situation. All right, so last but not least, we close out with the quote-unquote uh, contract signing which we all know was going to end in complete anarchy and it did with Seth Rollins cutting an amazing promo going into into business for himself and not only that but really really opening up the floodgates where the fans can genuinely be divided because on one side of the spectrum you got 
uh, Rollins representing the authority and the fact that the authority can get control of the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. On the flip side, you got Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, and the fact that, you know, you have this enigma, this monster, this unbeatable human being as your champion, and his allegiance lies firmly with Paul Heyman, and that's it. And then, of course, you got your hero, John Cena, the uh, the hero of the masses. Um, the fact is that any way you slice this match, you can you can benefit from it a few ways. If Brock Lesnar stays champion, we all know that the inevitable collision course with the Royal Rumble winner is what's going to make WrestleMania worth ordering. Simple as that. If it, if John Cena manages to win the belt, it may lead to Seth Rollins cashing in and Seth Rollins be carrying becoming champion. But I will say that Seth Rollins becoming champion at the Rumble will be a transitional championship reign and not a long-term championship reign because I don't think the WWE is comfortable with Rollins main eventing. I could be wrong, but I do feel that more than likely it's going to be Brock Lesnar finding a way to retain either because Rollins is going to cash in and he's going to lose and Heyman's going to have the last laugh or Brock Lesnar is going to get the victory and he's going to run out before Seth Rollins can cash in. But in any case, I do not see a Seth Rollins title reign in the future as much as I'd love to see it. I don't think that WWE has enough belief in him at this time to pull the trigger. If anything, like I said, it would be transitional and the same thing with Cena. I don't think Cena main eventing WrestleMania is in the cards. On the contrary, Cena may be used to put somebody else over in that instance. Uh, you know, more money is on is on Brock Lesnar going in as champion because considering that it's his his final appearance, I believe the Raw after Mania may be his his true final appearance. I think that he's going to want to go out putting somebody else over. It's the right thing to do. And besides, there's of course the gravity and the um, the weight behind defeating the one that is the one in 21 and one. So we'll see what happens. Um, like I said, uh, we got one more. We got the Raw from the 19th, uh, Martin Luther King Day. That is the final Raw before uh, the Royal Rumble. So hopefully they will dial it in and give us something better. I'm not holding my breath, but we will see what happens. All right. Let's get into the other wrestling news for the week. I did want to kind of talk about NXT, but I did not get to finish watching it. I believe hopefully next week I'll be able to get NXT out of the way and give you guys an NXT recap as well. Um, As for the wrestling news, a couple of things I want to get into is um, Maria Kanellis and Mike Bennett are currently, you know, the Ring of Honor's uh, first lady of Ring of Honor. And of course, Mike Bennett, he's grown on me as of late, but... It appears that their tenure at Ring of Honor may be short-lived uh, due to their uh, contracts expiring, and they are currently working without contracts. Now, there's a couple of things here that's that are worth looking at. Um, there's two potential suitors that may benefit from Maria Kanellis and Mike Bennett, and that's Lucha Underground and TNA. Of course, Maria Kanellis, many of you remember, she was in WWE and was released in 2010. She joined Ring of Honor in 2011 and ended up becoming pretty much the premier, uh, the premier female manager in Ring of Honor. Of course, she ended up working with Mike Bennett, and they are husband and wife in real life. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they end up. Mike Bennett is a unique wrestler because you either like his shtick and his gimmick or you hate it. 
but Maria is definitely a big part of it. So I'm curious to see where he ends up. I'd, I'd honestly like to see him end up in TNA because I feel he's a good fit. His moveset, his presentation kind of works with the TNA roster versus the Lucha Underground roster because I think the Lucha Underground roster is just way too high-flying, way too fast, and Bennett is more of a well-rounded competitor. If I had to compare him to anybody, it would probably be Bobby Roode and TNA. So we'll see what happens. It's something worth watching, but I'm not sure that they'll be renewing with Ring of Honor. Of course, once I hear more, I will definitely share it with you guys. I just noticed that Slick said in the chat, Cena and Lesnar is very possible for WrestleMania, which would open Rollins and Reigns or Rollins and Bryan for a main event. You know what it is? Cena and Lesnar again, especially in the grandest stage of them all, I don't think it's the it's the it's what they're shooting for just because Lesnar's last match again should be again for putting somebody over that's brand new. Lesnar Lesnar dropping the title to Cena at WrestleMania would be a given and it would not give and it would not give people the incentive to order a match when it's somebody like Daniel Bryan. Like Daniel Bryan and Brock Lesnar would be would be probably a a solid main event because you got two guys with great wrestling background. They have, you know, some sprinkling of MMA in there. But again, the biggest the biggest story is the return of Daniel Bryan from injury, overcoming the odds to once again become champion. The story writes itself. And again, WrestleMania has to end with a feel-good moment, good triumphing over evil. And if anything, there's no better triumphant ending then a, a yes chant once again with confetti raining from the sky and Daniel Bryan overcoming the odds and defeating the beast incarnate Brock Lesnar. But again, it's something that we're going to have to watch and the landscape isn't going to be fully laid out until after the Rumble. But I really would like to see Bryan once again in the main event at WrestleMania because it really solidifies, like I said, the the, the culmination of a great story. But we shall see. There's a rumor that's been floating around the last couple of days that WWE is going to start working with the MMA apparel company Tap Out. Um, in what capacity, I do not know because, like I said, it is currently a rumor which Tap Out and WWE acknowledged. But um, Tap Out said WWE is exploring several partnership opportunity. Actually, correction. Uh, WWE commented and they said WWE is exploring several partnership opportunities. However, they have nothing official to announce at this time. Um, I think a partnership with tap out would be interesting just because it would allow them to get WWE merchandise into a lot of mainstream stores. But on the flip side, I do feel that there's something special about only being able to get the bulk of WWE merchandise from WWE shop. Um, there are shirts, of course, that you can pick up in other retailers. Hot topic gets a lot of licensed merch, but you don't get the full assortment of merchandise when dealing with any of these retailers and a company like tap out can succeed in getting WWE in a foothold well, correction, getting them in a retailer and you know, in a retailer that hasn't been utilized on that platform. I always feel that WWE would benefit from offering their, their clothes. Well, correction, their shirts in some of the more big box stores, because it would allow um, a broader audience to be able to pick them up. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't mind shopping on WWE Shop, but sometimes you want to try the shirts on, see how they fit, etc., etc., and I'm curious to see how a partnership with Tap Out would, would accomplish that, but as of right now, take that with a rumor. All right, now, 
I did want to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling because their their show is debuting on Access. I believe it will be airing tomorrow night, and it's going to uh, show the match between Okada and Tanahashi for the IWGP Heavyweight title from Wrestle Kingdom 7. Um, it's going to be on Access TV. It's a 13-episode run, so do yourselves a favor. Look it up on your DV, on your cable guide and try and DVR it if possible. I think New Japan Pro Wrestling has some of the best wrestling going on today, and we got to try and throw our support behind it because I think more fans should check out Japanese Puro and Pro Wrestling so that they could get a better understanding of the strong style and see that sometimes you don't need elaborate backstage segments or crazy angles to deliver a good wrestling product. Again, uh, Access TV is going to have New Japan Pro Wrestling. Check your local listings for a date and time. For me, I believe it is tomorrow night, and I'm going to try and have something for you guys next week if I get to check out the first episode. All right. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about WWE's failed attempt to launch the network in the UK. Well, it looks like that has since been resolved, and a lot of areas in the UK are already have already received access to the WWE network, um, including Ireland, areas of Ireland and some parts of the UK. If you're an international listener, you can get the network on the Xbox One, Xbox 360, iPhone, and iPad. Um, once the PlayStation Store is updated, I believe... Uh, PlayStation owners will be able to access the network as well. Now, if you watch Monday Night Raw on Monday, you saw that the announced team currently is Michael Cole, JBL, and Booker T. That is permanent as the King has been transitioned to SmackDown alongside Michael Cole and Byron Saxton. Now, for the pay-per-views, it's still going to be Michael Cole, JBL, and Jerry Lawler, but they are trying to phase Jerry Lawler out and... um. One of the reasons is obviously uh, age consciousness. Uh, you know, the WWE is becoming more conscious of that. Plus, they didn't want to uh, phase Lawler out after his uh, stroke incident. So by moving him over to SmackDown, um, you know, it's something that it kind of works for everybody's, for you know, for the benefit of everyone. I do feel that Lawler's uh, broadcast quality as of late has has taken a turn for the for the really, really bad but I also feel that Michael Cole isn't that great either. For as much as WWE goes out of their way to reinforce that he is the voice of the WWE, he definitely is not. I believe that there are ample, ample talents that are better than Michael Cole. Jim Ross, of course, springs to mind. Uh, Joey Styles, Paul Heyman, all great color commentators, all infinitely better than Michael Cole. JBL, I don't even really try and put a lot of stock in his commentary because he's there to be a heel commentator, and he does that pretty well. Um, is he the best at it? Absolutely not, but he plays off Michael Cole rather well. I think Booker T's inclusion is interesting, and it's too soon for me to say if his involvement is good or bad for the product. Uh, last but not least, uh, WWE announced their reunion show. We're going to see Ric Flair... Shawn Michaels, Hogan, and Scott Hall. Originally, we were going to see an NWO reunion as well, but after the legal issues surrounding Kevin Nash, that was in jeopardy, and Kevin Nash was suspended. But um, Kevin Nash did note that the charges against him were dropped, which, of course, is probably going to lead to WWE um, lifting the suspension, and we may see Kevin Nash on that Raw broadcast. So there you have it, guys. 
that is going to wrap up this week's show. As always, uh, you can join us for our gaming and entertainment segment. Uh, I was going to say tomorrow, but it is officially Thursday, uh, Thursday, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. You can listen live on mtrlive.com and gfqlive.tv. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. To listen to archived episodes of the show, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. But if you want the best experience, pick up the My Take Radio app. It's $1.99 and is available for Android, iOS, and Windows mobile devices. For Android, you can find it in the Amazon Marketplace. For iOS, it's going to be on iTunes. And for Windows, in the Windows mobile store. Like I said, it's $1.99. You get 96K stereo versions of My Take Radio, mobile wallpapers, and also original content that we release exclusively to app owners before everyone else. All right, guys, on behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the MTR crew, I will see you later on this evening for our gaming and entertainment segment. As always, thank you guys for your continued support. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you later. Peace. Peace. <laughs>